All right, people. So for the first time ever in Jive Yak history, history, we have a phone interview. And I am personally excited to bring this person on. He is running to represent District 2 in the Erie County Legislature here in Buffalo, New York. And he has a tough climb ahead of him, but he is an accomplished activist. He believes in reforming our educational system. Amongst other things, he's been a part of the national political movement, and he believes he is the man for the job at this point in time for Buffalo, New York. Ladies and gentlemen, today we have Duncan Kirkwood. Welcome, sir. Good morning, and thank you so much for having me. All right. Now, uh, you are an activist, but besides that, what else have you uh, have you done? Tell the people who you are and what you have accomplished so far. Okay. So uh, I don't know if I necessarily use the term activist so much as I do advocacy work. Um, okay. And that's because, you know, I try not to just make noise. I try to actually get stuff done and move public policy. And those things can be a little different. But, you know, for all intents and purposes, you're right. <laughs> you know, it's still activist kind of work. But um, so, yeah, so my name is Duncan Kirkwood. I grew up in Central Park over here on Manhattan Avenue. Uh, my parents, Mar mm -hmm. Marvell and Iris, still live over there. And uh, I grew up at a time where it was real dangerous. We had Crips, Bloods, you know, Folk, uh, the Bailey Boys, Langfield. I mean, it was just like a lot of you know, very violent crime with our youth at that time. So my mom wanted me to leave the city to go to college because uh, so, she was very fearful that I'd be able to make it. So I went down south to Alabama. I went to a historically black college, Alabama State University. Uh, I got my bachelor's and I got my master's from Ashford University. Uh, while I was there, uh, I was really learned about kind of making a difference, making an impact. Because, you know, living in Montgomery, Alabama, it was like civil rights was every day, all day. You know, we were two blocks from where Rosa Parks got on the bus. Uh, we were one block from Dr. Martin Luther King's Parsonage and the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. Uh, so it just, the, mm -hmm. Southern, the Southern Poverty Law Center was a couple blocks away. So it just really became part of who I was. So we sued the city of Montgomery when I was a senior in college to protect voting rights for students. Because um, at that time, former confederate states couldn't make any election changes without pre-clearance from the department of justice so they did it they had made an election change so we sued them and it really for me became like wow i'm this young hood kid from central park and i'm like suing the city i'm making a difference in the world and it was like it really it really changed me because i felt empowered i felt like wow i am somebody i can you know use the laws of this land to make a difference and fight for change so Soon after that, I enlisted in the Alabama Army National Guard, where I served my career of eight years as an Army officer. Uh, I was a first lieutenant in a chemical unit, so we did uh, primarily disaster relief and worked with FEMA incidents uh, across the South. Um, also, while I was there, I did some policy work, and this is where I really crossed into like uh, public service and politics. Uh, I was working to do some education advocacy, and there was a couple really, really big education laws there. And, you know, I led the mm -hmm. team, I led the team, the statewide effort in Alabama to pass those laws. So we worked with pastors, community members, teachers, um, parents from across the state. And we really organized and pushed the state elected officials to pass a law that had failed twice before we had got, you know, I got there. 
And so we were able to pass it with bipartisan support on both laws. And so we really saw that, wow, like I, I believe that, you know, policy is what makes the lasting change, not just resolutions, not just ceremonial things, not protests, but actually moving policy. And so we were able to do that. Uh, then I got engaged in 2015 and uh, well, 2014 rather, and then moved back to Buffalo because my uh, high school sweetheart, she's from Buffalo as well. So moved back here with all my family at the end of 2014 and just been involved in the community since. Um, so that's, I mean, that's the, the short version of a whole bunch of other stuff sprinkled in there, but that's where I'm at. So let's get this one question out the way and then we can move to uh, the meat of this interview. Now, you are running to represent District 2 in the Erie County Legislature. Uh, now, this district is currently represented by Majority Leader April Baskin. Mm -hmm. What do you think you can do differently than Ms. Baskin? So first, you know, if I'm elected, I don't really want to make this election about, like, me versus her or, you know, mm -hmm. trying to, you know, tear her down and stuff. There are a lot of things I would do differently. Um, but I really want this election to be about a shared vision that we have for our community. Like, I want us to create, you know, a vision that is prosperous in Erie County where, you know, minorities and Blacks and, uh, well, I'm sorry, Blacks and women and Hispanics and, you know, just all the spectrum minorities are not underrepresented at the county as far as staff, as far as leadership. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to create, a, have a vision where the law enforcement is working with communities, not targeting communities of color. Uh, I want to have a vision where the holding center, people don't go there and get price gouged on for the commissary or phone use and then tortured in solitary confinement uh, where people mm -hmm. have jobs and opportunity across this region. So if somebody does end up in the holding center that they don't go end up back in there in a few months because our recidivism rate is terrible uh, for getting our folks, you know, to stay out of the system. Um, you know, doing the work with Northland, I've learned that our people need a lot of wraparound services, a lot of supports, but they want to work. They want jobs. Mm -hmm. They want to have a career. They want to build something for their families. They don't want to be on government assistance. They don't want a handout. They want an opportunity to lift themselves up. And I think the county can be a leader in creating those opportunities and those supports uh, that people need. Uh, also, you know, I've done work with black businesses. Uh, I've had about five or six trainings and workshops that I've done in my free time with black local black businesses. And, uh, and I've learned that a lot of our black businesses could be making great money as registered MWBEs with the county and the state, but they are afraid and don't have the support they feel like to take their business from being like a side hustle or to be in the way that they provide for their families. And so I think the county could be a leader in that. The majority leader hasn't had an MW. She's the chair of the MWBE committee and they haven't met since last March, right? So I would make it a priority to grow our local businesses. Um, and then in fact, I would create a mandate that all the county, uh, everything the county does has to have 15% minority participation. So that's in hiring, that's in purchasing, that's in uh, contract procurement, all of those things, I would make sure that the county, because, you know, African-Americans make up 15% of Erie County, they should make up 15% of the purchasing in Erie County, the opportunities in Erie County, the government of Erie County, the staff of Erie County. Uh, so it's just a mm. lot of things I would do, you know, differently. And I, and I imagine we'll get into some more of the you know, type of things I'd like to see changed uh, if I'm selected to be a representative uh, for this area. 
also, you know, I do oh, want to I, I oh. say just to be clear, you know, I live in this community, mm. right? Mm. The majority leader, she, the first time she voted in a primary was when she voted for herself in her entire life, right? She didn't vote for President mm. Obama in 2008. She didn't vote for him in the primary. She didn't vote for him against McCain. She didn't, you know, she's just been very disconnected from our community. She lives on the West side and she's a nice woman. Uh, she's a, has a good, you know, she had this good uh, nonprofit to help kids get ready for college. I thought it was a really good idea. And so I actually helped with that. Um, but when it was time to fight, you know, when it was time to, you know, stand up for India Cummins, or when I was chairing the Black Lives Matter chapter and inviting her to things about raising the age that we prosecute kids as adults or having a voter rally so we could get young people excited about voting to stop Trump from getting elected. She didn't show up. She didn't come. She didn't care. She didn't, you know, she was just disconnected. But then one day, some other folks from outside our community told her that she was going to be the majority. She was going to be a legislator. They taught her what it was. They lined up the endorsements for her and then she was able to win. And just barely, you know, we, we fought a good campaign a couple of years ago and we, we came just short of beating the, all the political machines. Um, but, mm -hmm. you know, so we're running again because we feel like we can break through because, again, I live in this community. I live off of Bailey. And yes, this district stretches from the east side to the west side um, and all, you know, parts in between into Niagara, a little bit of north, some Lovejoy. I mean, it's got all this is a, a wide stretching district, but the majority of this district is on the east side of Buffalo. And so we, it would be helpful to have someone represent us who has a lens and understands the plight and the struggle of people who live on the east side of Buffalo day to day. Okay. Wow. All right. I, I, that was a great answer. <laughs> Very well put. So let's dive into the meat of this interview. I want to dive into uh, what makes you you and what you believe in uh, for this race. Now, as you said at the beginning, that you're not an activist. You are. I do advocacy work. And it, yes, you do advocacy work uh, for the education system. And at least from where I'm standing, uh, one of the main issues involves funding for both charter and public schools. Do you believe that there is a way for both institutions to coexist? Well, yeah, they're, you know, they're coexisting now. You know, people, you know, people, first, okay, so first let me be clear. County legislature doesn't have anything to do with uh, charter schools or you know, anything like that. They really have very little to do with education policy, even though the Erie County Legislature gives a substantial amount of money to the Buffalo Public Schools um, through taxes and stuff. But um, they don't set education policy. Uh, but just, mm -hmm. for, just you know, just to get to know me a little bit, you know, if you're asking about, you know, I do think that parents should have the right to choose a school that works best for their kids. And I think that Black leaders should be saying that louder and more often. Because we have some black leaders in other parts of the country, like the Delta Sigma Theta sorority in Detroit, who opened a charter school. So they teach their girls scholarship and social justice in high school. Mm -hmm. Right. And or the 100 black men of Memphis that opened a charter school for science, technology, engineering and math or KIPP 
that opened a school in Atlanta where they focus on African culture and African values. And then they actually take their eighth graders on a trip to Ghana, West Africa every year. Right. We can Mm -hmm. create the type of schools that we feel will be best serving in our community. And that doesn't mean we have to slight the district schools because thanks to the leadership of Dr. Cash and our school board, you know, we're moving in the right direction. Now we're moving slow, but we're still moving in the right direction as far as our school system is concerned. And so, you know, we have a long way to go to get to a point where we can be like excited, like about having a world-class school system. You know, we need to have a dream where every school system, every school in Buffalo is providing education to the level of city honors at Olmstead, mm-hmm. right? That, that's where mm-hmm. everybody should be focused on getting us to. And, you know, being honest with you, everybody's not. <laughs> you know, just being clear, you know, there's a huge cultural disconnect. We're supposed to have restorative justice practices in our school to stop our students from being over-disciplined, um, but that it seems more like a suggestion than a policy because some schools and some mm-hmm. teachers just refuse to use it and enforce discipline, you know, at their own discretion. Uh, whereas others, you know, kind of use the restorative justice circles. And, you know, we see that our teachers are 90% white, 70% suburban. Our students are 80% black and Hispanic. So there's this huge cultural disconnect. The school system has been Mm -hmm. cited for the disproportionality of the number of black students that are being suspended and um, punished and disciplined. Um, City Honors has been cited by the Office of Civil Rights because of their lack of black students. And then two years later, they have less black students after that investigation from OCR. So, you know, we still have a lot of work to do um, in our school system, but I think that, you know, just bringing it back to me as a county uh, representative, I think that one thing that I've seen as best practices, because, you know, like I said, I've done work in other states and, and stuff. So one thing I've seen a county can do is start to give some of the money to the school system in the form of grants. So the county can't, mm-hmm. set, can't set education policy But what they can do is if they increase the amount of money that they're going to give to the school system, they can take the increased amount and make it uh, available as grants. So, for example, we need more black teachers Well, we can have grants for two and three hundred thousand dollars that schools can get to recruit black teachers from other states. Mm -hmm. Right. Or we or to have after school programs or wraparound services or more transportation for students to extracurricular. Like we can decide what the schools need and then write it in the form of grants so that they have to apply to, and there'd be some measure of accountability for them to actually do with that money what they say they're going to do or what we've prescribed for them to do. Uh, and I think that's how the county can help. And then also to use the bully pulpit to say it's not acceptable that we have a disproportionate number of minority students being suspended from the school system. To say, you know, as a county, we want the school board elections to be the same date as the primary or the general election so that more than eight percent of the people vote in the school board elections and the teachers union isn't wholly dictating who represents the children of buffalo because the teachers union is largely suburban largely white and they have their interest in mind but we need elected officials and school board members that have the interests of our children in mind and that, that that's their priority so i think there's a lot of things the county can do as far as leadership goes but i just want to be clear the county doesn't set education policy Okay. All right. And, and I, I do, I do agree with that. Now, growing up, I, I was also in the Buffalo school system and uh, one school that, that I went to was uh, campus North. It, it was on uh, Minnesota Avenue, uh, but it, it closed down years ago. Now, one thing that they didn't really offer was a music program 
do you feel that the arts is something that's missing in the buff in the Buffalo school district when it comes to our public schooling? So a lot of schools actually do, you know, do have art. They, you know, they, they don't do it as much as we probably would like, but many schools do mm-hmm. have, you know, choirs and bands and different, you know, ways to integrate art. You know, I can speak to that personally. I went to Olmstead growing up. Well, I went to 60s public, mm-hmm. public school, 61 on Leroy. Then I was able to get my mom was able to get me an Olmstead. And so in Olmstead, I struggled. It was an incredibly rigorous school. And I mean, they, they took some of the classes. We took one class called Logical Reasoning, which actually mirrors some of the things that are on the LSATs, right? The, the, the tests that people mm-hmm. take who want to be lawyers after college, right? So it was just a very rigorous school. And for me, I did not thrive there. Uh, so I ended up going to performing arts, an art school, where I found the, mm-hmm. the space of being around people who have a creative mindset, the uh, the space to be able to accept people of different nationalities and different races and religions and just it was, it was all types of people there and I learned not only to accept them or be tolerant but to celebrate it to like be excited that people are different and take them as they are and still build value with each other um, and so being in that type of art space was very not just for me but all the students who were there like we are a different type of people, you know, from from being in, in, in immersed in that artistic type of culture, whether it was theater, dance, communications, it just was a different mindset. You know, if you look at, I don't know if Nicki Minaj is the best example, but like Nicki Minaj, Kanye West, Tupac, they all mm-hmm. went to art school, right? There's something about being in an artistic, creative space that brings out, like, we're all born geniuses. Like, everybody's mm-hmm. born a genius. We're born creative. We're born fantastic and special. And the world crushes us into these small boxes of what our parents think we should become or what the society thinks a black man should be or can do or when it's okay to be great. You know, we tell kids, you can be anything you want. But if a kid says, I want to be an astronaut, it's kind of like, oh, that's cute. Or if a kid says, oh, I want to be president, it's like, oh, look at him. But it's not like taken seriously, right? And so Mm being in the art environment like taps into that and touches that piece of us that we still hold on to of being naturally creative and naturally genius level knowledge of you know what it is to exist on this planet and be in touch with god so i know that was like real crazy esoteric type of earthy answer but like that's how i feel okay all right and that's that's completely fine i I try to make this space a, a place where our guests feel comfortable to fully you know express themselves so that answer is completely fine with me now one one topic that's very important is the topic of lead in our water supply now i saw on your website that uh you believe in part education uh can help solve solve the problem what else specifically can be done uh to fix this problem for future generations okay so you know lead poisoning is destroying our community and nobody Mm -hmm. really wants to talk about it because it's such an expensive public works project to replace all those pipes okay Mm -hmm. like it's so expensive that it's like if the more you talk about lead, the more it gets to the point where you say, okay, well, let's replace the pipes. Well, that is a huge public works project, and politicians kind of stay right. kind of stay away from it. Um, but lead poisoning 
is one of the biggest contributing factors we're seeing to like, you know, when I've been doing parent engagement and parent work and uh, working, you know, try to make the push the school system to continue to be better and grow is that our, our children are often poisoned by lead before they even start. So they come into school because, you know, once lead gets into your system, it never leaves. So they're coming to school mm -hmm. facing these challenges, these uphill battles of being stereotyped already, of not being able to relate or connect with the person that's educating you, of coming from low income areas of poverty where oftentimes you don't get the same kind of pre-school preparation that folks who, you know, are middle class or upper middle class are able to give to their children. And now you're dealing with lead issues. So now there's more behavior issues. It's harder for you to sit still and focus. It's harder for you to learn. So that's why we see a lot of our students who either have actual learning disabilities or who are treated and overdiagnosed as having special needs and stuff. And so I think that the county, because the county is responsible for the lead abatement, needs to not just take leadership, but it needs to be like a, a priority that we're not going to poison our people. Like that's just, you know, there was, that's just, it's just something that I feel like is incredible that nobody is talking about, that nobody is pushing for. So I want to be that leader, right? Like that's me. It's like, okay, there's a void. Let's fill that void, right? Because my kids live in this community. Our, my family mm -hmm. and my nieces and nephews and cousins, they're growing up in this community. One for two, one five, one for two, one four, one for two, one one. And so we got to, it's, it's personal to me. You know what I mean? It's like to the point where if the families that know better don't drink tap water in Buffalo. Like people who have means and know better don't drink tap water. Like they just buy yeah. troves and troves of bottled water because they know that the water is not, you know, good water that you should be drinking. Like, so like that's a problem. Uh, so I think that, you know, again, the county can take leadership on that. And yes, it's going to be a public works project. It's going to probably need to be a city county partnership, but it needs to happen and it needs to begin immediately. And I am all for that. That's like I said, that is something something that is so important to me because when you see uh issues like what what is still going on in ferguson and when you actually do the research and you find out that the pipes that yes flint sorry flint uh when you look at the research and you see that the pipes here in buffalo have been in the ground since before the code was written that 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 alone makes you go okay we need to do something to fix it and and i get that it is expensive but you look at what money you could save down the road uh -huh. i i i would assume that it would be worth it i mean you can knock it out on in two parts you can improve the infrastructure of this town which is sorely needed and at the same time and at the same time, hire local residents to do the work. So that our so that our citizens actually have meat in this game. They have something to be prideful of. This is their town and they built it back. That's right. So so like I said, th this issue right here, this means a lot to me. So I, I, I wanted to get to specifics for it because I I cannot I, I hate seeing issues like this and we and our officials being told that there is nothing that could be done for it. it it's infuriating. Yeah, uh, I, so, I, I can see that you feel very personally about this. And, and I think that that's great. We need people speaking up like, you know, one of the things my opponent has been kind of saying is, well, it's good to be passionate. 
you know, trying to kind of demean the fact that I'm passionate about my community, right? And like she said, mm-hmm. it was good to be passionate, but you've got to work with other people. You've got to da 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 da. And that's why they're doing ceremonial resolutions as opposed to passing sweeping policy changes, right? And um, and I just disagree. You know, President Obama was passionate. Martin Luther King was passionate. Like it's important mm-hmm. to be passionate about things because you have to make what's important to the, our community important to everybody else. And the only way to do that is with passion, is with pride and tenacity. And uh, and so we just have to be better. We have to do like we just can't continue this. And just and and the crazy thing is, no one like literally nobody talks about it. Like it's just like mm-hmm. it just is. Like in Buffalo, we've got this mentality. It feels like where people just have kind of accepted the fact that the you know that things are are bad. <laughs> like it's just kind of like become normal. Like this is just the reality, right? There's lead. The lead pipes are there. Our kids get lead poisoning. Our kids are getting undereducated. There aren't that many opportunities for a career, sustain, you know, family sustaining wage jobs that our youth don't have as many programs as they once did. That, you know, I mean, like we just have kind of accepted that this is it because so many people, Buffalo is one of the third poor, is like the third poorest city in the nation. Is people are in survival mode. And when you just trying to keep the lights on, you just, you know what I mean? You don't really, you don't really know who to be mad at or who to, be frustrated with but i see it when i'm going door to door you go talk to people they're like man forget them politicians and they don't and they use explicitives you know so they'll say mm-hmm. you know forget them y'all don't do nothing they all the same y'all ain't about nothing da, 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 da. because they've just given up they've they've had so many bad experiences false promises backdoor deals like the one to put the incumbent in you know shady type of stuff and and people like you know come around when it's time for elections and then they don't see them again until it's time for the next election, you know, they and nothing is being mm-hmm. done in their community. And so they're frustrated and they're apathetic, but they're they want better for their kids. Though. They want better for their kids. They're willing to work for it. They just need an opportunity. And our county, like we in Buffalo, we always look at the city councilor or the mayor. So every time something goes mm-hmm. wrong, it's like, oh, the mayor ain't no good. Oh, my city council member don't do this. Right. And nobody ever says my school board member is not doing a good job or my county representative is not leading on changing this, right? And so I wanna change that entire narrative. Like, and there's another narrative I wanna change, which is in our black community, everybody kinda has this energy where it's like, you're a good council member, you're a good elected official if you come to stuff, if you're accessible, you come to my mm-hmm. church, you write a resolution, uh, so make it like annual church day, or, you know, you do, you know, you're, you're just accessible. You come to my black club meeting every once in a while, or you come shake my hand at Juneteenth. It's like now you're a good representative. And I want to change that to when you see, when people see an elected official, they say, hey, how are you doing elected official such and such? What policies are you working on right now to make our community better? What are you doing to mm-hmm. save this county money or save this city money? What are you doing to create opportunities and jobs for people in our neighborhoods? Right. That, I want people to start asking that every time. We don't care that you remember my name or you came to give the prayer at a block club meeting or something. No, we want to know what are you doing? Because for most of these politicians, this is their full time job. They don't have other careers. Right. Which is part of the problem itself, because a lot of them come to the table with nothing to offer. So the groups that put them in now control them because this is how they feed their family, right? But anyway, mm. um, so I think that if this is a if this is your full time job, you should be full time working to make people's lives better, not just go smile and wave. And that's really what things have become. And we got to fix that. We got to fix that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> 
I agree wholeheartedly. Like I said, I'm, that, that topic really gets to me. So let, let's let's move on because I, I see that you we only have a few minutes left. We have about 10 minutes. So I'm going I'm going to try and run through these last few questions. Um, so also your on your website, you also talk about uh, supporting our social services. Uh, how would you make it so that children are not lost in the system and that people who are looking to foster and adopt are vetted properly? So, yeah, so that's not the angle that I want to take necessarily. Um, okay. So when I'm talking about child protective services, right, black people make up about 13, 14% of Erie County, just say 15%, right? But mm-hmm. 48% of the kids taken out of the home, removed from the home, are black children in Erie County. That is incredibly mm-hmm. disproportionate, okay? Now, it's twofold problem to why that's happening. Number one, the folks who are coming to evaluate our families and work with our families before they remove a child from the home are often suburban folks from West Seneca, East Aurora, whatever, right? So they're coming to visit our city into our community. They don't look like us. They don't understand our community. And so they're the ones that are doing the evaluations. And they just have, it's just a a cultural difference, right? When I grew up, you know, my parents, I get home from school, you know, I get off the bus. I was not maybe 10 years old. I get off the bus. I go home. I might be home for two hours, three hours before my parents got off work. Right. And that was okay. Mm-hmm. Like that wasn't a big deal. That just it just was what it was, right? Well, folks from outside our community might look at that as neglect. Right? They'll look at that as you're putting your right. child in an unsafe situation, they're unsupervised, whatever. So we need that to bridge that cultural gap by having more diversity in uh, child protective services. But when I said that to them last time I ran, they didn't push back. They said, Okay, great, we need more diversity. They welcomed it, mm-hmm. right? But they said also we need more support because our caseloads are out of control. So because their caseloads are so out of control, they're not able to give the requisite time and energy to each individual case that they really would like to. Okay, so I don't wanna just say blanket, oh, they need more diversity and that'll fix the problem. No, we also need to give them some more support, whether that be you know uh, more staff, whether that be you know partnering with other agencies, whatever it needs to be, we need to come up with a solution so that they're not so overworked that they can't do their job you know, uh, to the highest ability that they can because they're trying to manage so many cases. Um, and that's important, like child protective services, because if you look at how, listen, listen, look how the system goes. The parents are struggling to survive. So just say there's a, rep- somebody reports them for education neglect or child neglect or whatever. Someone from mm. West Seneca or East Aurora or Cheektowag or Amherst comes to visit and, and evaluates their child. Then just say they say they say you know what you're not being a good parent we're gonna remove this child so they take the child out of the home right and then they go place that Mm -hmm. child with someone in the suburbs (laughs) they go place it with a foster parent in the suburbs and then the county pays that parent in the suburbs to take care of that child Mm -hmm. okay now if we took government if we took government out of that we would call that kidnapping (laughs) okay so like <laughs> so we got to like really you know do a better job. We need to figure out ways to make sure that uh, family members kind of get first rights to take care of a child in a situation like that. And I know they do try to do some of that, but we need to you know really through policy make that a ver- a mandatory process. And then we also we just need to give them more support and we need more diversity. And I think that will drastically change some of those numbers, those disproportionate numbers of black children being removed from their homes.
All right. Well, uh, I have time for one more question. And I know I told you uh, when we were setting up the interview that I normally do a silly question. However, I decided to uh, end it with a very serious question. Okay. So, so your last question, which is going to let the people know fully who you are, is this. Now, in this movie day and age where Hollywood, for the most part, even though recently had some great successes with original films, uh, Hollywood has been producing subpar reboots or disappointing sequels. Let, let me put you in the shoes of a Hollywood executive. What movie do you feel deserves an honest sequel or a great reboot? Meteor Man or Blank Man? Um, hmm. I would say... I would say Blank Man because I just really remember that movie being hilarious. And I think in the superhero age where all the movies are kind of overly serious or dark and gritty with a twinge of, mm-hmm. of, of humor here and there... Having like a full-blown comedy slash superhero type of movie like would be really good, especially on the heels of Black Panther and kind of mm-hmm. this, this very pro-Black Afrocentric uh, type of celebration of Black excellence to have like another Black movie that was a more lighthearted version uh, of superheroes dumb, I guess, and at the, <laughs> at the same time give you something to like just sit back and watch and laugh at but now with the CGI and special effects, but make it also something entertaining to watch. Mm-hmm. All right. So you, you're more of a fan of Blank Man because when you, when you look at it, even though Meteor Man had some comedic moments, it, it was more of a more of a serious superhero film. It, at least that's what I remember. Uh, but Blank Man, I, it was just something that was a spectacle to see. Right. So. As far as I can tell, those are the questions that I had. Um, There were a few more that I wanted to get into, but I am completely sure that we would have ran over everything. So, Duncan, how can people find you? How can they donate? How can they reach out to you? How how can you get volunteers? Plug yourself. Okay, so if you'd like to join this movement that we're building here, uh, they can go to the website, www.duncankirkwood.com. It's just my name, duncankirkwood.com, and they can donate there. They can sign up to be a volunteer, or they can just give me a call. So, uh, my cell phone number is 308-0506. Again, 308-0506. And we're really, listen, we're running against the machine, okay? The folks in the suburbs do not want to lose control of the county and having an educated independent, no strings on them black man who's a veteran is not something that they want in the Erie County legislature, okay? So they are going to be fighting tooth and nail to keep me out so they can continue to control who is in the seat, and not just this seat, but that's that same force that is dictated, that has selected somebody to be in this seat and has them doing what they want. They also are running people, again, three of the city council districts. They're trying to win those, a couple of the school board races. They're trying to win the first legislative district seat. Like those folks, 
they don't just get a little control and they cool with it. They are coming and forced to continue to take the power and take the voice away from our community. And so we need to fight back. And, you know, it's going to be hard work. It's cold out. But we need people who say, you know what, I, I want to see this city better. I want to see this county grow. I want my community to have true representation. And if that's you, call me. Come join us. Get involved. We can use you. We can use your talents and treasures to fight back against the machine because we've seen it done. We've seen, you know, the congresswoman in New York City beat a longtime incumbent. We've seen, you know, wins across the country. We've seen Stacey Abrams almost win the governor of Georgia. We've seen what it can what happens when a movement is built. And so we need the movement to happen. We got a huge team of volunteers and we need you. We need more. We need to keep fighting because not to fight is to consent to what's going on. Like the Declaration of Independence says, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident, blah, blah, blah. But the next line says that governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. So that means that we have to consent to be governed. And us running this campaign is us saying we do not consent to how we're being governed, how we're being subjugated, and we're standing up to stand, to fight back. So please join us. We think we got enough to push over the line and win this election, and we want the community to win with us. We want this to be our win. Our campaign slogan this time is, we're all we got, but we're all we need. So I hope you all will get involved and join the campaign. We're all we got, but we're all we need. That is the slogan for for Duncan Kirkwood. Thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to me. I appreciate it. DuncanKirkwood.com. Check him out. Call him. He is accessible. And he said he would do an interview with us at the Jive Yak. Duncan, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Have a good one.